Welcome to a special podcast for men. My name's Dave Robinson. And I'm Chuck LeBlanc. And this podcast is about taking a look at men's fumbles, fears, fuck-ups, and fantastic recoveries. And this is is Men Men Tell Tell Stories. Stories. All right, so here we are again. Welcome back to another edition of Mental Stories. My name's Dave Robinson, and joining me is my best friend in the whole wide world, Chuck LeBan. <laughs> How's it <laughs> it's going, good Dave? Good to hear you, man. <laughs> good to uh, see you great, too. great. I'm, uh, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay today, man. Um, you know, one of the things that we do when I'm sometimes running groups or when I'm running, when I'm working with a client is I do, um, what I call a check-in. You do check-ins with your clients once in a while, I'm sure, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And a check-in for me is super important because it gives, it gives, uh, me an opportunity to talk about what it is that I'm feeling. So, Mm You know, you and I have had this conversation before where we talk about how most men really don't know what they're feeling, why they're feeling it, or how to express what they're feeling in a way that allows somebody to understand or or invites somebody to understand what's going on inside. Because mm-hmm. feelings are often invisible to others unless we let them in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that and wondering what would it be like to do a check-in on our show? and uh for the listeners and just imagine if they were to join us in on a check-in what that might be like and uh, what do you think you think that'd be let's do it well i'm used to doing them and i know that when i when i started in the counseling practice this might be this might be very similar to a lot of the audience out there i found check-ins to be very awkward and i always thought i I remember because where i where i work at the kempville stress relief center we do them every time we have a meeting and for the first couple of months, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, are we going to, what are we doing here? And it just made me feel really uncomfortable. And th- with the place I worked, they were so welcoming that they kind of allowed me to have that feeling and let me like, kind of like a kid, you know, like poke in, try it out, maybe lie a bit and then get more comfortable and then finally open up about it. And it took a while for me to get into the habit because I'm used to just, I guess, how do you put this? either arriving you're either like here i'm feeling like this let's go or putting a mask on right you're going to work this is me today so having a check-in both in group maybe in therapy but also in the workplace at a meeting allows everybody to just show up authentically if you can you know what it's so true so in the work that i do in the corporate world we often teach leaders how to do check-ins for their teams. And the reason why we do that is because to your point, um, it gives the leaders an opportunity to, to do two things. I think to build some safety and trust psychologically on the mm-hmm. team and also gives people an opportunity to let go of things they might be holding onto that might be distracting for them mm-hmm. related to what they're going, what the team meeting is about. Um, it also gives people an opportunity to just let other people know what's going on for them. And to your point, the more authentic and and connected they're feeling in the moment to the people they're on the team with, or fr- first of all, to themselves, mm-hmm. the more other people on the team can understand what they're feeling mm-hmm. and can identify perhaps with what's going on. 
and therefore there's almost like a, a collective empathy that starts mm -hmm. to develop, um, which I think is really important and I think highly underrated at times. Um, yeah, I completely yeah, agree so, with that because it's all about the sense of community. No matter totally. What, <clears throat> no matter what workplace environment you're in, especially yeah. a high-stress job, you need to have an environment that is well-connected where the community right. is thick so that you, you never feel like the lone soldier trying to take on a battle, but you're in a team. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's um, let's imagine that you and I are sitting at that campfire where we tell the men tell stories, stories, <laughs> and we're I don't know. We look over to the right, and there's a wall. It's a stone wall. It's in the shape of a circle. And so you and I walk over. Imagine, and we have our our listeners who are with us, um, and they're joining us, and they walk over and they sit down in the circle and the way in which we sit on the circle is we put one foot inside the circle and we keep one foot out and the idea of checking in is after i've checked in i swing my other leg over the wall and i put my both feet in the middle of the circle mm -hmm. so that we're actually joining each other in that in that circle experience if that makes sense yeah i like that symbolism yeah so so I'll, I'll go first. I'll swing my leg over. And when I'm finished, I'll say I'm in. All right. So here's what I'm feeling. So we'll model with um, what, what I'm feeling, where in my body I'm feeling it, and, uh, and what that means for me. Okay. So just going to quiet down for a second. And, um, hmm. Okay, so right now I'm feeling joy to be with you and I'm feeling a blend of fear and joy, which is excitement for me about, you know, sharing this particular podcast with you. Um, that's the, the and, and, and I feel that, the joy in my chest and the excitement in my gut and, um, and underneath that, I'm feeling some sadness related to just some things that I've heard in the news lately and um, yeah, some things that are going on um, in my family and uh, just, just noticing that's alive in me as well. Um, and I feel the sadness. It's kind of like, it just takes over, right? It's just it kind of like a, a shroud over top mm -hmm. of everything. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm just owning that and bringing that forward, the feelings of joy and that excitement plus some sadness. It's all, all interconnected. Um, yeah, so with that, I swing my leg over into the circle and I'm in with that. Well, all right, so I'm feeling, if I check into the body, there's, I, I would say the excitement the same, the fear, the hesitance, uh, I always feel, and this is a little bit of our topic today, which I'm excited to get into, but a little bit of hesitance sharing, even though I like to share. And that's both an indication of a habit I've built over the past two years of being more vulnerable. And also the glimpse in the background of it, not quite, the switch not quite being flipped yet. And in my stomach, there's all those butterflies and nerves because every time we chat, we always discover something new. So I know that every time we have a conversation, I'm going to change when I walk out the door, which is why I love these podcasts. 
And the sadness is definitely there. Uh, I've been think, taking a lot of thoughts on sadness and grief over the past couple of weeks. And I think I'm starting to understand how I process those emotions, but also I'm starting to understand a little bit more about why men, myself included, have such a hard time with it. And yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine about it and we kind of came to a realization, which we'll get into, so I'm not going to, spoiler alert here, uh, I won't get into that yet, but it kind of shocked me, something that I saw as to why men really hold back their emotions that mm -hmm. are a little bit deeper than what I thought before about male socialization. But it's all alive and well in me, like a glass box that I'm screaming from behind. And every once in a while I can open it and come out, but it's not quite shattered. Yeah, so that's me. Wow, that was a, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate. Are you in? Oh, I'm in. Have you swung that leg over the wall? The wall, yeah, the wall is broken down. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> okay, so this is where we give the listeners an opportunity to, to do the same thing. Just imagine that um, you're checking in with your feelings. What are you feeling? Mad, glad, sad, scared, shame, guilt, whatever it is. It's all welcome. Um, you know, where in your body do you, do you carry those feelings and, um, and what do you think they mean for you and, and join us inside this circle, metaphorically speaking, as we talk about sadness and grief and despair and what that means for a man. And is there room societally for men to feel grief? You know, I mean, how do you, how do we feel as men, sadness, grief, and despair, when we're raised with some of the doctrines like big boys don't cry mm -hmm. or you know put your shoulders back stomach and chest out stomach in mm -hmm. you got to tough this one out where's the room for sadness and grief and despair chuck what do you yeah mean? Pu pulling up the bootstraps sucking it in yep it's pushing through you know what i'm gonna add it's a, i got a, a wrench thrown in here the yesterday in a conversation so i'm gonna add one more complication to the start yeah. of this journey today. Sure. When it comes to uh, where is the room for grief when men are supposed to be the strong ones, mm -hmm. supposed to be protectors, providers, we're supposed to be fixers. And as we know with grief, grief is like a storm. It's not something you can fix. It's something you weather, something you go through. And you're, you go through it in community. That's why we pull together. And so for men, I think a lot of this, aside from the pulling up the bootstraps, you know, men don't cry, which is all a sign of weakness and shame. It's a conversation about shame or embarrassment. It's also a conversation of not wanting to be burdened to other people. And I think that's a big part of all of the little pieces that hold us back. But, and this is really the, the shocking part for me, it's also about the lens of care, as I called it yesterday. So as a provider or a protector, you want to hold up the people around you. So if you're, I'm, I'm just remembering a funeral I went to when I was a kid with my dad. And my dad was always emotionally expressive. He would talk about it. It was not something that was held back. However, tears always were. And I saw the crux of that at a funeral when I saw my dad basically hugging himself, trying not to cry. And what he was doing was trying to make sure everyone in the pew, which was the rest of us, the kids, my mom, were supported. So he was throwing his lens of care at us, blocking out the emotions from himself so that he could be the strong one. 
instead of letting it out. And then he would walk off on his own later times and I can catch him crying it out. So I can, what's shocking about this is up until yesterday, I thought that these moments of grief where we hold back were from weakness, embarrassment, shame. And there's pieces of that for me. But I think it's also the feeling of a burden. You want to protect and hold other people and you can't really do that if you quote unquote break down. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, there is definitely a burden, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there's a heaviness with sadness and grief and despair. And I think a lot of men really don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think your point around um, men are the protectors, I think... I agree with that. And there's a generalization and a dangerous one, potentially, that mm -hmm. women aren't the same. And I think, you know, the, the phrase mama bear comes to mind. And mm -hmm. I think in many cases, women hold the ability from to to hold that protector energy as well. Mm -hmm. But I wonder whether or not women and men deal with grief differently. Um, you know, one of the things... And that's just a, I'll just park that as a, as a rhetorical question to mm -hmm. just sort of linger in the background for a second. Um, because one of the things that I find personally difficult with grief is never knowing what to fucking say when someone is in, in dealing with grief, mm -hmm. when, you know, going to a funeral and, and what do you say? Or friends that you know, who have passed, have had friends who've, or family members who've passed away. What do you mm -hmm. say? You know, there's that classic conversation of um, people going to funerals and saying, you know, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, m mm -hmm. My family member passed away as well. Or, I mean, and there's a real danger of being insensitive in that, even though we're trying to find ways to join in that person's grief mm -hmm. so that they don't feel alone. And at the same time, it can be really offensive. You know, yeah. and and it's I think there's a confusion perhaps during processing grief between sympathy and empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, can we truly empathize with someone's grief or is it really socially a better experience or more appropriate experience to sympathize, meaning to to witness at a distance without joining in mm -hmm. with that person? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a hard distinction, right? Yeah. Um, and what's, I mean, what's interesting about all of this is what grief is for. Mm. Like why, why we grieve. It's a call to connection while honoring mm -hmm. a loss. Mm -hmm. And grief is an honoring of a loss because you grieve as heavy as the loss meant to you. Mm -hmm. And whether you say the right thing, say the wrong thing, it's all a reach for connection. And so I think where the empathy is, is noticing that the person needs connection. And so then we get caught up in the details. And I think that's where the embarrassment comes in. What do I say? How do I say it? What do I do? When really all they're looking for is a call to connection. So it's about, for me, it's about knowing the person. Mm -hmm. How do you connect with the person? Is, is it a hand on the shoulder? Is it a silent hug? Is it just standing near? Is it saying, I'm sorry? Is it just letting the tears flow with them? Kind of like mm -hmm. a chorus. It really depends on the person, but it's all the same movement. It's all a call to connection. I know one of the things that I was taught many years ago when I did a 
grief grief counseling certification um the phrase i have no idea what you're going through and i want you know i can't imagine what you're going mm -hmm. through right now and uh, i just want to let you know that um i i'm i'm here for you and i want to offer you my condolences in some way that says to the person you have your right to your grief and your mm -hmm. journey without me hijacking your grief agenda for lack mm -hmm. of a better term mm -hmm. with my own you know unconscious and, and awkward desire to want to connect at a time that contextually might not be the right time to do that mm -hmm. Right. So your point is is well taken. I know personally, I find it really difficult at times, even even after going through certifications and dealing, you know, mm -hmm. as a as a certified person who's you know helps people get through grief. I have a hard time finding the words sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes words escape me literally, mm -hmm. and I've actually used that phrase. I have no words to express to you know express what's going on right now um i can't imagine what it would be like for you and um yeah it, and sometimes words just are so inadequate mm -hmm. and and i think that's what feeds my feelings of awkwardness at times mm -hmm. and the danger of making it about me as opposed to allowing space for the other person to be in their grief yeah that's quite know. the sticking I, point it is you know looking at it from the other side the grief you and I have talked about this many times, but the emotion of grief would be my most difficult one to express. Mm, so if yeah. I was to pick any of them, grief uh, is the top. Mm. You know, much of my therapy is about trying to get used to expressing it and understanding the language of grief and try to understand it. While at the same time, doing a lot of grief counseling. Mm -hmm. And so from the other side, it, I do, I work with a lot of clients on it and I think that is telling because the more I work with it and the more therapy I have, the more I move towards grief counseling because it's the hardest one for me to express. And as I'm thinking about this, you know, there's from the side that you're talking about trying to give condolences in the past, my own feelings towards grief shut me out of giving condolences, saying anything ghosting, walking away, or being very silent. And at the times where I was able to connect, it was never verbally. So attending funerals, I remember the last funeral I attended was my best friend's mother's funeral years ago. And I couldn't say anything. But I could hug. And that was it. And so there's another form of connection there. But from my own standpoint, there's this blocking point mm -hmm. and what speaks to the blocking point. Cause now that I'm getting trained to actually pay attention to it is the piece of embarrassment, the piece of, if I open this dam, it'll be flood. I'll flooded. I'll mm -hmm. be overwhelmed by emotion. But underneath all this is an incredible sense of powerlessness because there's nothing you can do about it. When someone's died, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, yeah, there's nothing that you can do about it as the person who's 
who's offering the condolences and there's nothing that the person who's who's experiencing the loss um um can do anything about mm -hmm. right so there's that no matter what the the that situation can never be changed mm -hmm. so yeah and it, and so what do you do with that that powerlessness is mm -hmm. such an important point and i think maybe that is why men steer away from grief mm -hmm. because it reminds them of the powerlessness that often accompanies grief and despair like what the fuck do i do with this feeling mm -hmm. there's no place for this in my life if i give in to this then i'm admitting i'm weak i'm admitting i'm vulnerable i'm 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 and therefore if i'm vulnerable that means that um i could be a target or I could be fallible, I could make a mistake, I could fail. Whatever story mm -hmm. the man has that he has personally connected with grief um, can shape beliefs, it shapes behaviors, and all those things affect how we relate to one another, mm -hmm. especially during times of grief. The The biggest key there is relation. It's the relational yeah. aspect because powerlessness is... is uh confusing and angering and upsetting and hollow and there the cure for powerlessness is connection mm -hmm. because we're human beings we're better together we grow mm -hmm. together we heal together and i think for for men so if i was to like dive down really deeply into like where it comes up for me is the powerlessness of not being able to do anything about it speaks a lot to the fact that I can't use my own two hands to fix this problem. Mm. I can't protect the people around me. I can do nothing about this sad situation. Knowing full well that the only thing you do in grief, the only thing grief is for is to weather it, is to honor the passing and carry it differently. But in order to do that, you need to reach out. Mm -hmm. You have to do it together because you can't do that on your own. And I think that's why it's so difficult for men. It's because when you hit powerlessness, it's an indication that you need another shoulder. You can't do it on your own, which means Absolutely. you have to ask for help. And, and, and men who get caught up in what I call man mode, where, you know, when we're confronted with a problem, we're either going to try and fix it, explain it, control it, or overpower it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, what do you do with grief? You can't fix it. Mm-hmm can't control it can't ex really explain it because to do so it makes it about you versus the person who's going through the grief and certainly can't overpower it so what do you do with it it's one of those emotions that is really difficult for men to process mm -hmm. in general and interestingly <clears throat> one of the things that i've learned over the years the many years of working with men is that Often men who are super angry, in touch with their anger, that anger is on the surface, you know, it's the one emotion that they're able to really tap into. Mm -hmm. Underneath that anger is often piles of grief and sadness. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and paradoxically, men who are really attached or often connected to their sadness, meaning it's the first feeling that when given space to get to they can get to underneath the sadness 
lies a pool of anger. Yeah. So it's really interesting how those two kind of tie in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I wonder if our listeners can identify with either one of those and, um, and how often I have used my anger to cover up my grief. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, um, until I understood what my anger was all about and, and still continue to work through my anger triggers underneath my anger is, um, definitely the big pool of sadness that mm. I, I do a lot to avoid diving into if mm. I can. And yet there's such a powerful, to your point, connection around really surrendering into the grief and the sadness at times. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a loneliness that can accompany grief as well. Like what, how do I communicate what's going on? Mm. And if I'm the person who's grieving, I might not want to share what's really happening for me because I don't want to burden others. And at the same time, it's so overwhelming. What do I do with it? Yeah, that internal dialogue is so heavy. Yeah. I talk, I've been writing a lot about the glass box, I call it, the, the one I get stuck in. And I remember mm-hmm. a situation where I was dealing with the grief of a friend who passed away by suicide. And I had found out and I went into like a stage two trauma response. Into, I Complete shock. No, I was zombie-like for almost an entire day. And I had a distinct, I have a distinct memory of being unequivocally shut down and trying to tell my wife for almost 24 hours. And I couldn't. And I kept feeling like I was trapped in this glass box that where the image came from of somebody who's just banging on the walls and screaming. And every time I thought I was breaking the glass, which means I could feel that I could start to feel something in my chest instead of just fuzzy nothing, it would get shut down. And it would get pounded down. And then there would be no emotions. And it wasn't until the next day, 24 hours later, where Chris asked me, she said, are you okay? And I managed to sneak out a no. And the minute I said no, the grief came flooding in like the mm. box shattered and I cried for three days. Wow. But I'll never forget that feeling of being stuck in that box. Yeah. It's the first time I've now noticed my reaction to grief is to climb in there and hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. To climb into grief and hide. I wonder how many people really have carried unresolved grief inside of them and how that has affected their life. I know Mm -hmm. lots of my clients have shared with me the unresolved grief that they carry. You know, one of the things that I talk about is how change in any, in any form can represent loss for someone. Mm -hmm. And so Um, some people invite it and some people really don't like it. And when we do a lot of work in the corporate world around change management and the psychology of change, um, a lot of organizations forget that, that people have this, this, um, necessity to process the grief of change that often 
there's no space for. Mm. One of the things that I, I have spoken about in um, a couple talks that I've done on resilience and emotional resilience, to be specific, um, is related to how people associate stress and change and how often um, stress becomes the culprit and why people have such a hard time with change. Mm -hmm. And I theorize that it actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with stress. It has very much to do with transition time. Mm -hmm. So for example, it's much easier for somebody to, I mean, not that it's easy in any situation, but if someone is comforting someone who's dying of a terminal illness over an extended period of time, there's plenty of transition time Mm -hmm. to adjust to that change. Mm -hmm. But if somebody drops dead in front of you, there's no transition time at all. That's right. It's just a shock. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I'm noticing is that those people who have been in situations where they've had zero transition time are often really overwhelmed by the grief and the sadness and really don't know what to do with it. And those who've been gifted, if you call it that, the... The, more of a window of transition time mm -hmm. can can have that time to adapt can 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 pr prepare um, for the changes that are coming mm -hmm. uh, can pr prepare for the transition of uh, a loved one or the loss of or the passing away of somebody mm -hmm. um, yeah it, you know mm -hmm. and so I just want to put that out there into the consciousness around grief, despair, change, and transition. Yeah, because it all speaks to the process. You know, one way mm. I describe, I, I said this earlier, but with my clients and myself, the, I describe it as grief is a storm. It's not something you can fix. It's something you go through. And part of what you're doing when you're going through is processing it. And there's a lot that goes into that. Anger, denial, all kinds of things that show up. Uh, like a maelstrom of every emotion. But what's interesting is, is, you know, what we need is a connection to process it, a sa which means a safe space to allow yourself to go through the storm. And the only thing to do is feel it. Hmm. That's it. But I think what holds men back, and this is where the lens of care comes in, I think one other thing that, and I'm really curious about your take on this, is we're socialized to be fixers, protectors, and providers, uh, which means our lens of care is outward. Mm. Most men's lens of care, I know mine is, is to take care of the people around me. I don't spend much time with that lens pointed inwards, which means it's an awkward act for me to focus on myself and try to take care of myself. But grief is asking for you to connect with yourself, for that lens of care to be pointed at yourself where you can feel what you need to feel, be as upset as you need to be, and process how your relationship with the person who you've lost is going to change now that they're gone. Yeah, and you know, you know, we're talking about, I think in many ways, we're we're having this veiled conversation about death and dying. And grief occurs in any change like mm -hmm. the the metaphoric death of a relationship mm -hmm. you know a, a separation or a divorce a child loss um 
but separation and divorce definitely is something that affects a lot of men mm-hmm. and 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 creates grief but but there is definitely no room for that like it just men need to soldier through at least this is the stories that many of the clients that I've that have come to me tell themselves mm-hmm. I must be strong to get through this mm-hmm. my lens of care must be to use your words outwardly focused mm-hmm. and you know um I don't believe that every person has a lens of care to again to use your phrase um that is outwardly focused mm-hmm. I think some do have an inwardly focused lens mm-hmm. and in general like I know that it's easy for me to look after myself. Mm. It's easy for me to go inward and almost to the point where I can disappear. Mm. Right? And I can, it's easy for me to disappear into grief. It's easy for me to think that I need to shoulder this burden by myself. Mm -hmm. Whatever the burden is, Mm -hmm. you won't understand, my story tells me. People won't understand what's going on. You don't want to be a burden, Dave, so best to keep it all to yourself. Mm-hmm. How often do others think that way? And how often does that perpetuate loneliness and disconnection? Mm-hmm. You know, your point about being able to process, it brings to mind a personal story. Many years ago, I was a ski patroller and um, I worked in a specific resort and there was a weekend in particular where I won't get into details, but I ended up having to manage an accident scene, which involved um, somebody dying on the hill. And mm. it was on a Friday afternoon and um, it was traumatic. The parents were at the bottom of the hill and I was on, it was a, a child and mm. there was, I won't get into the details, but the bottom line was I was managing the fact that the parents were at the bottom. They didn't know what was happening. We had to wait for the accident scene to be declared an accident scene. And Mm -hmm. there was all kinds of things related to that. And all I was doing was focusing on task, managing communication from the the patrol leader, managing the communication from um, the base of the hill and doing a bunch of different things while also overseeing the accident site. And it was um, it was profound, intense experience for me. Mm -hmm. The next day I was um, after, you know, having conversations with some people about that experience that night. The next day, uh, I was in a different experience altogether, and I got a call to, and I was at a different site, a different um, ski hill mm. for for an event that was unrelated, and um, I got a call to come back to the hill that I was on, and um, that there was a group that needed to, that I needed to come join, and what I learned was that one of the, my colleagues who I used to snowboard with and everything else at the hill that I was um, part of had died of a heart attack suddenly uh, on the Saturday. So the Friday I was dealing with this, the next day a friend of mine, colleague, acquaintance that you know I used to snowboard with um, passed away. And so I, I share this because the next like I arrived after hearing that news and then was put into a crisis intervention 
support meeting, mm. SISM, and um, everybody who was involved in the accident scene, everybody who knew this person who died um, was invited to this group. And all I remember is when it came time to share, bursting into tears and literally just dropping into a puddle of grief. And I think that was the first time I realized the freedom of expressing grief in the moment and just diving into the vulnerability pool of what it's like to process deep emotion mm -hmm. and how free almost the emptiness of letting it all go felt when mm -hmm. I was in the presence of others who understood and could hold that space for me to just be vulnerable and in that sadness. Yeah. Yeah. It speaks volumes when you have a community like that and there's a safe space to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And I don't know whether or not we can really truly find our way through grief to weather the storm that you mentioned by ourselves. I think it's really important that we seek out people to build those connections. Mm-hmm. You know, the... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I completely agree. And I know that's my own my own personal experience on this process is to invite people in. Yeah. My glass box isn't helpful anymore. No, man. And no. so inviting people in has made uh, all the difference in the world as I slowly approach comfort in doing that. Yeah. You know, one of the topics that we we ought to bring back is the uh, the topic of male archetypes. And one of the archetypes in the King Warrior Magician Lover model is that lover is the archetype of connection. Mm -hmm. And to access our lover in the male archetypes is through our sadness and grief. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can revisit that someday. Um, I'm just noticing that we're coming to the end of this episode. And uh, thank you for for bringing this back this this topic of grief and sadness and um it's been more of a heavier topic and at the same time an important one mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that the men who are listening and those who are listening who know men um and care about them will share this because if there is a message that i think we're hope that we're leaving is that dealing with grief and dealing with sadness um involves involving other people no matter how uncomfortable it can it may seem at the time that's right grief is heavy and we heal in community yeah and it's process oriented it's something you go through like a storm it's not something you can do anything about yeah man awesome absolutely well, all right Thank thanks for everybody that. for listening this was yeah. uh heavy and awesome as always dave yeah it's been a pleasure Thank you. So if you want to get more of Chuck, you can reach him at Chuck LeBron Counseling. And if you want to reach out to Dave, uh, Dave at shift-counseling.ca. Uh, thanks again, Chuck. It's been great, and I'll see you next week. You bet. Take care, Dave. Dave.